0: Welcome to the Senior Happy Hour podcast with your host, Lori Bull. We know you're busy, so we bring you one hour's worth of content in under 30 minutes, leaving you time for a true happy hour.
1: Hi, everyone. On today's podcast, I speak with Sarah Larrington, a learning support coordinator at Dresden International School. Growing up, Sarah felt different from their peers. In Sarah's 20s, they received a diagnosis of Asperger's, Our discussion today focuses on Sara's experiences in school as a child, why boys are diagnosed at a much higher rate than girls with ASD, what schools can do to better support their neurodivergent learners, and how Sara's ability to connect with their students is their superpower. I hope you enjoy our conversation today as much as I did. And now, on to the show. Hi, Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, nice to speak to you. Well, it's really great to meet you today. I'm um, excited to have this conversation. So, you're a you're currently a learning support coordinator at Dresden International School, and you've been an international school teacher for many years. Where else have you taught overseas, and what drew you into international teaching?
0: Um, so. I was a, uh, I taught in the UK, that's where I trained. And I did about 10 years in different uh, kinds of education settings in the UK, including a behavioral school, um, as well as uh, regular primary schools. Um, And then in about 2009, I decided that I wanted to see a bit of the world. I hadn't really left the world. I wanted to meet, uh, meet other people, uh, different cultures, because I was very interested in all of those things. But um, I'd done a little bit of traveling in Europe, but n- not anywhere far away. Um, so I decided that maybe I should look for a new adventure. And I had some friends who had taught in Dubai, and um, they had a great time there. And I thought, well, maybe I'll give that a try. So in 2010, I managed to get a post in Bangkok um, at St. Stephen's International School, which is a smaller international school. Mm -hmm. Um, I was there for a few few years. Then I moved to Panama and taught at the Metropolitan School of Panama. And then I went back to Bangkok and taught at NIST, uh, worked at NIST, um, that that was my best experience. <laughs> um, then I moved to Eunice, Hanoi in Vietnam. And then in 2019,
1: I moved to Dresden.
0: Um, ah,
1: yeah. Now I see, so this whole time I've been looking at you, you look so familiar. So I used to teach okay. at um, International School, Bangkok. Okay. So we have definitely crossed paths. <laughs> Probably at so. some point, yeah. Got it, okay. Yeah. And and you're a learning support coordinator at your school in Dresden, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I um
0: I've been a coordinator at different times. Um when I went to NIST, I was a learning support teacher because I felt like I still had so much to learn. So right. I took a I took a I took more time to learn and created an opportunity for me to learn more and learn from people who really knew their stuff and you know I worked with an excellent team at NIST and other people in Bangkok and um, other you know such as people at ISB, at Patina and then you know uh, working with people like from Steps or the mm-hmm. different uh, educational consultants and things like that and I just I just really enjoyed that time because I gained so much more knowledge. Um, and I worked on my postgraduate uh, diploma in um, special education. Um, and then when I came to Dresden, I came as a learning support teacher, but two years ago, um, I took over the coordinator for PYP Post.
1: Cool. cool. So, yeah. Well, Sarah, you're not only a learning support teacher, you were also diagnosed with Asperger's. Now, that's what we call it in the States. In the UK, it's... Asperger's. With a Asperger's. P. Okay. Asperger. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and what age were you diagnosed? Uh, I was actually diagnosed very late. I was 23. Okay. And that, so, I hear that happens quite a bit,
0: a yeah, later diagnosis. So- yeah um so um I always knew I was a bit different um and my my parents kind of did too, but they didn't have anything any frame of reference um I was diagnosed earlier with uh, um, dyspraxia and dyslexia um, and I saw um uh, occupational therapists and things but Everybody would mention the social aspect, that I I was always very quiet and, you know, I had friends, but I often would choose to work on my own, work on my own projects, things like that. Um, And teachers had said different things, but, I mean, this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, and so people really only thought of autism as... um, what you see when someone has more severe challenges. right? And, and at that time, it was just, it was thought it was just boys. Um, and so I didn't get diagnosed until I went to university. I found living away at university quite difficult. I had a great time, but it was difficult. Um, and then when I started my first job, something's happened. And then I went to see a psychiatrist and I got my initial diagnosis then.
1: Hmm. what did that diagnosis mean for you
0: for me it was like a light bulb moment it was I'm not weird (laughs) I think differently my brain is a bit different and also there are other people like that in the world at first I didn't tell anybody because again There wasn't that much information and I didn't feel like I really fit to the typical things you were seeing in the media or what I was finding when I was doing research, you know, about it. And I don't want to say I was ashamed, but I was uncomfortable with that diagnosis. Hmm. But then as I started teaching and my, my experience grew, and moving internationally, um, that made me feel more comfortable with who I am and how I uh, how I am. And um, I then gained the confidence to just say, no, you know what, I have this, um, but I always look, try and spin it with a positive. I do mention some of my challenges, but I also say what my strengths are. Um, and also sometimes I was getting into situations, like social situations, like misreading people or not understanding or some oral communication, um, missing the point or going off a different point. And I'd always have to say, I'm oh, I'm really sorry. And then when I said I had Asperger's, people were would make more accommodations, whereas before they wouldn't really. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. interesting. It's more it's more the empathy piece rather than what you were saying earlier, um, where you you said you felt weird growing yeah. up. And I yeah. mean, of course, that makes my heart break to hear hear you say that about yourself. Of course, you're not weird, but yeah. I, I know that people in um social situations, if they're in a situation and, and someone's acting, I guess, differently that that's the word that they they might use and then yeah. when someone comes out and says oh well, I I am on the spectrum or I have Asperger's or um it's then that empathy piece kicks in yeah right yeah
0: yeah I, I'd, ha- I'd had some bullying at um at secondary school and mm-hmm. uh, primary school was fine but secondary school you know I think everybody might get bullied a little bit, but I definitely had some because I wanted to be in the library instead of out at recess, or I was interested in things that other people weren't interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I do think, you know, if they'd known, if I'd known what I'd known now and they knew they wouldn't have bullied me. They just thought I my yeah. would.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And that's why we, you know, so many of us in the field, I encourage our students to advocate for themselves. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. It must've been really difficult for you to move overseas and take in all those new cultures and challenges.
0: Yeah, it was. um, It was exciting at first. I mean, I don't like change very much. But um, it was exciting. At first, it just seemed like I was on a really long holiday. But (laughs) I also did work as well, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it would sink in. Then it sank in, that no, you're living here. Um, And so there were definitely challenges with how systems worked, um, how schools worked, how just everything. It was a big leap. By the time I moved back to, so I moved to to Panama and um, when I decided I didn't want to stay in Panama anymore, I was like, where in the world could I go? And I chose specifically to go back to Bangkok because I already knew it. And yeah. I knew I'd already gone through the process of figuring a lot of things out in Bangkok. And so that move, was not as difficult um moving to Hanoi was the hardest move I did and I found that the most challenging place that I've lived in mm-hmm. um and then moving to Dresden it has been challenging but it's been because of COVID because um, right. I've spent most of the time a bit in lockdown uh. um and you know you think well Germany it's Europe and things like that but there's a lot of red tape and there's a lot of things of, I thought it'd be a bit more like the UK, but
1: it's not really. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, things, <laughs> work, things, work, <laughs> things work differently. <laughs> well, heading back to the thought of you being a girl. So you're a mm. neurodiverse girl in school. What was your experience like? You mentioned bullying. Do you have anything else to share on that?
0: Yeah, I do. So I actually now uh, identify as gender neutral, okay. which m- many people, you will find a higher prevalence of people with Asperger's who either are gender neutral, identify as gender neutral, or uh, trans. And we can talk about that at a different time. That's not yeah. this uh, conversation, but there is, there is research for that. But I was a girl, I was born female. And so, um, I didn't understand this term masking until I started, uh, until, you know, five years ago when people wrote uh, papers and research on it. And I definitely did it. And what that is, is trying to fit in, trying to pretend to be something that you're not. I feel like for a good 20, 25 years, I pretended to be something that I wasn't really I I put pictures up of bands that I that people said were called cool that so I thought I should put pictures up you know mm-hmm. I talked about things that I actually really didn't understand you know when you when you have groups and you're hanging out and you're chatting about things um I put myself in situations of things I didn't really enjoy or didn't really want to do because everybody else was doing it and I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be like everyone else. And um, this is a typical thing with people who are female, born female um, who have Asperger's. There's research for it. And, um, Even now, I still find myself masking, you know, uh, not all the time. I'm much more happier with who I am and and I advocate for myself really well, but I still try and, you know, I'll stay at a social situation when really I'm done. I should have gone half an hour ago. Or I will um, take something on because everybody else is taking it on but it's
1: probably not a good fit for me. Got it. You know. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: So according to the CDC autism's diagnosed four times more in boys than in girls. Um yeah. in in your opinion are boy, boys more likely to have autism or is it that the girls are masking or are they exhibiting different signs than boys? I think I think, I think it's a little
0: bit difficult to tell. I mean I'm not sure what the data completely supports. In my experience, I think there's there's probably as many girls that have autistic conditions as there are boys. But because for many years they thought it was just a male thing, girls were misidentified with ADHD or depression or uh, mental health challenges or, or other things. I think also females tend to mask very very well whereas boys don't tend to I don't see that it you know I've been teaching for 20 years and I I very rarely see boys mask sometimes I see it but it's definitely more a girl thing particularly at teenage the teenage age and I don't know that you know if you look at books from maybe 10 years ago research books help books guides it talks about boys 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 yeah and you know temple grandin was a great is a great role model um but there are not that many there's a few but there's not that many female role models who you know identify and say yes i i've got Asperger's or autism so but my personal opinion i think it's it's probably equal um mm-hmm. but i'm not sure that At this point in time, the data shows that as much as we'd like it to, but I think in the
1: future that will happen. Yeah, I think so too. I have read that most of the studies have been on boys, as you you suggested, and and how they just kind of left out a whole subset of the population. So. Very interesting. Um, And I do want to take you up on that future podcast about gender identity. And um, that sounds so interesting. And
0: I'm Mm -hmm. really
1: excited to talk to you about it. (laughs) Um, Well, I want to talk to you about your teaching. You're a neurodiverse learning support teacher. So Do you feel like you're able to kind of get in the heads of your students? And that's for lack of a better phrase. I'm not sure how to phrase it, but um, then many of the rest of us who are learning support teachers.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, several of my colleagues in different schools or my line managers of whatever have said, I have something that they don't have. That help me connect with the students that I work with that they cannot connect to them on the same level. And one of my friends, uh, who who was my supervisor, uh, he was this he is he was the assistant principal at Eunice Hanoi for the PYP. He said it was a gift, and now mm. I've decided to call it my superpower, um, because you know I live and breathe many of the challenges that not just neurodiverse students have, but different, all different challenges. Um, and I know what it feels like, um, but I also, he says I have a gift for just seeing a child or a student and in a few minutes just going, I know what they need. Um, and I, I know how to, I don't know, but I can make suggestions about how to help them and. Suggest accommodations and strategies or whatever and I just have these really great connections and I can't tell you why I'm not I can't say I'm a better teacher than anybody else or I I have a better knowledge but I think just for through being me I have these skills
1: sure I mm-hmm. mean to have you as a staff member at a school would be would be like having a superhero <laughs> there to to help the rest of us better support our children. So yeah. Yeah. can you can you kind of give me a, an idea of some of the things that you're noticing? Are they sensory related, um, social, or is it just everything?
0: I um I definitely notice the sensory much quicker than some other other educators might. Um, I'm also able to put the challenges into terms that educators will understand when a child may not be able to voice it themselves mm. um, And I sometimes notice the some of the social, but not always because I do struggle with mm-hmm. I struggle reading a child sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. and I struggle with uh, body language and and reading that face. So for some um, professional development for the primary school um, the learning support team decided to uh, do some autism awareness training. And one aspect was a colleague was interviewing me much like you are now asking mm-hmm. similar questions um, about my experience as a as a person who is very diverse. And um, so many teachers came to me afterwards and said, Thank you for that i wasn't aware of that i didn't know what to look for uh, i didn't understand um and then um we took it to uh, a local senior thailand meeting where other schools from bangkok and other professionals from bangkok um and we repeated some of the pd but also the interview and i had uh, several Other special educators, learning support coordinators come up to me afterwards and um, just thank me for doing it, but also expressed
1: what they'd learned from it,
0: which was, it was good for me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, it was good for them. That's the important thing to remember, too. (laughs) Good for all. Um, uh, How do you think or or do you think schooling has changed for neurodiverse students um, since you were in school? Um,
0: I mean, when I was in school, you didn't see, you didn't know if anybody was neurodivergent. Um, I've got a feeling that they probably went to uh, a special school, you know, a unit or were or attached to a unit. And definitely, when I first started teaching, um, it was often. Um, neurodiverse students would uh, either be in a unit and participate in the mainstream classroom every now and then or they'd have a a one-to-one aid shadow something Mm a shadow teacher or something like that Um, and um, those who were in mainstream school often had lots of challenges so um, because they weren't getting other supports they weren't getting speech language or uh, cognitive behavior therapies or, you know, anything else they might need. A homeroom teacher, particularly in the UK, who was not trained as a special educator, was trying to work with them and do the best they could. And the psychologist might come in once a year um, and then we'd see more behaviors, inappropriate behaviors because of frustration or not knowing how to communicate. And they're trying to navigate school. Um, then when, uh, you know, my career developed, I saw more integration, um, particularly for people with Asperger's. So yeah, I'm seeing less one-to-one aids. Um, I'm seeing students being part of the classroom more, um, and teachers learning how to support students who are neurodiverse. I'm seeing uh, safe spaces created within classrooms, I'm seeing resources, manipulatives, and I'm seeing students given the opportunity to get therapies that they need. But I also think that it is both my privilege and my my job to be an advocate for myself, therefore also an advocate for my student and being visible. You know, I wear a T-shirt to school that says neurodivergent. I uh, All my kids know that I have Asperger's um, and every classroom now has headphones, um, noise uh, reduction headphones and any kid can use them and they do. Um, we have, we've put those resources in. When I was at NIST, uh, some teachers were empowered by what I was talking about to create a safe space a room for students to go during recess when they didn't want to be outside in the noise or in the library in the noise Um, and so with my support uh, we created a safe sensory friendly room for any student to go to but it meant that those students who are neurodiverse could go and feel safe and feel included too Um, and so i you know
1: i've seen that change That's, that's great. And I'm sure you're inspiring some of our listeners to go and create those rooms right now. Mm Um, so I, 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 um, as an aside, I really hope that we can have you on this podcast more often because I really think that you can bring so much insight into mm. um, what we can be doing as schools, as international schools, to better support our neurodiverse yeah. population because they're there, right? And um, you know, I think for a yeah. very long time, international schools really didn't they they didn't say they had students with any type of um, difference but, Mm -hmm. but they had them. And, and now uh, I know the majority of schools want to support all our learners. So they just need to know how to do it. So, um, well, what's next for you? I understand you, uh, you have a fledgling consultancy. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah. um, During lockdown, I, when I started teaching, I just, I had this plan, you know, I would teach, then I would become a learning support coordinator and then, you know, work through. And at some point when I was getting close to retirement, I thought I'd like to be a consultant and support teachers to support students like me, Mm. um, and with other learning challenges. Um, But then during lockdown, I realised that all I've known is teaching in a school, teaching in a classroom or being a learning support coordinator. And I actually find it quite challenging, but I didn't realise how challenging I found it until lockdown, because then I was working online and I had a better work home life balance. You know, I was one of the few people saying, (laughs) I don't want to go back to school, this is, you know, <laughs> I, I I love being with kids, but I find adult relationships difficult, and, you know, even getting to school some mornings with going on the tram, and the noise, and if I've unsettled, and so um, I was talking to, I have a therapist who does some cognitive behavior therapy with me for different reasons, and she said, why are you waiting till you retire to do this master plan, mm-hmm. you know, you could do it now, And in Germany, they have a law that you can get a bridging contract. And so for a year, if the school agrees, you can say, I want to go part-time for, I don't know, let's say 60%, 80%. And then after a year, you can go back to your full-time job if you want to. Or you could continue. Mm. So I thought, why don't I take the opportunity to see if I can... Um, do something that I really want to do Um, and so um, I'm creating consultancy um, where I want to support families and schools to advise them um, how to support their students in the classroom do some training I'm not really about how to write an IEP or um, advocating for parents in that way, mm-hmm. and more about how can I support you with your child? What does your child need? What does the child in school need? What do you as a school need to be more inclusive and diverse? And so that's really what my um, plan is. Um, I have been in contact with April Renfrey who has her education consulting business and she's kind of mentoring me a bit because I really did, I I did not have a clue how to do this. Like <laughs> I was like, I know what I want to do and I can build a website ish. But beyond that I I didn't have a clue. Um, and so she's been advising me and telling me where else to go. And so um I've the website just became live about a week or so ago um, maybe two weeks and um, I haven't taken any bookings yet because I'm still sorting that bit out but um, I offer online consultant consultancy for families um, if they've got questions you know they may have just received a diagnosis for a child just want to know what that means and what that means for that child um, they might want some strategies for home or it might be a group of parents. I, I have been asked by a, a parent in Panama asking if I'm willing to speak to a group of parents about uh, different things to support students. And then I'd like to, eventually, when the world is a bit more <laughs> open, is to go to schools, look at car- classrooms and say, have you thought about this, this, or this? Have you tried this? How can I help you? How can I? how can I help your school be the most inclusive it can be specifically for neurodiverse students and sensory, you know, sensory processing, but other students too. Um, I'm also, uh, teach a lot of maths. Um, I'm not really a reading specialist, I'm a maths specialist. So I've got a lot of uh, strategies about how how to support students with maths challenges as well. And so I kind of do both. And um, I've just, so I'm just putting feelers out there. I've just created something with a company in the UK called School Improvement Tracker. And I helped devise a learning support um, audit tool. So I've been involved in that. I'm gonna be presenting at the AGIS conference in Germany. Um, talking about um, supporting students through maths, but also bringing in other things too. Um, and I'm just putting feelers out there, but it's more about making sure kids get what they need.
1: Ugh, that is so needed. And I'm I am just thinking of so many conversations I've had over the past few years with families um, in need of just that support and schools who need that support. So I have a feeling you are going to get flooded with <laughs> with requests, totally be um, great.
0: Because <laughs> so, because so far the business is taking money rather than providing any. <laughs> well, so that
1: always on. happens. A new
0: business, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you
1: can expect it. <laughs> um,
0: and, and my plan is, and I've talked to April about this. You know, once things get up and running and whatever, that maybe we make more connections with other small businesses, and so a school or a family can come to us and say. I have a child with this or I need this. And then we go, right, this person can do this and this person yeah. can do this.
1: Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. what Senya is all about, right? It's yeah. making those yeah. connections as well. So yeah. Great. Well, Sarah, that's really all we have time for today, but um, I am, you have a new super fan me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely phenomenal. And I've learned, So much just from our short conversation, and I truly do hope that we can have you back to learn more.
0: Definitely, definitely, it would be good, and I actually enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. (laughs) But but then I'm talking about myself, and so
1: (laughs) (laughs) best topic of all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information, including how to subscribe and show notes, please head to our website. That's Senya International dot
0: o-r-g slash podcasts until next time cheers